The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Last week, Pastor Scott brought the first message of the first couple of verses in chapter 11, and then today we'll be looking at verses 3 and 4, all right? And so as Scott put it last week, it appears that the disciples are really starting to get it right? They're after a while of walking with Jesus, and as we put it, walking with Jesus, making friends and so forth, uh, and following Christ, they're really starting to get it. And we know that they're starting to get it because they're wanting more and more of his teaching. So if you look at verse one, once again, it it looks like, hey, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like John's disciples are asking him? And so the, the, the request is, teach us to pray. They want more of Jesus' teaching. They're getting it. They're wanting to follow him. They, they know that, hey, there's something going on here that we need from Jesus, all right? So, and in response, Jesus gives them what is called the Lord's Prayer, right? You've heard that before. But let's break down the text a bit uh, to show where we're at in this section of Scripture and where we're headed. So if you remember, once again, last week Scott brought uh, verses 1 and 2. I'll be bringing 3 and 4. And then next week Scott will finish off with the rest of that passage that Ryan read uh, for us uh, today. That's where we're headed. And so what we wanted to do, even though we are in a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, a feast for failures, this is almost a little bit of, of, of a parenthesis in that in that overall series, it's almost like a mini-series, if you want to call it that, on prayer. And so Scott and I, as we began to pray about all of this, we wanted our church just to pause for a moment. We could have preached one sermon on the Lord's Prayer, basically all of 1 through 13 in chapter 11, but we wanted just to break it down a bit, pause a little bit, and really focus in on prayer as a church. And so that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing this, and this is where we're headed uh, this week and next, especially in our missional communities uh, as well. So once again, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a few sound bites uh, from Scott's message, Scott's sermon last week, that will really set us up for uh, today's sermon. If you remember last week, Scott, uh, first of all, by way of introduction, Scott quoted Martin Luther right? This is not Martin Luther King, right? So I've had people say, Martin Luther King said, no, it's Martin Luther. Uh, This is an old uh, dead guy theologian uh, with the Lord. uh, But this is a a very famous, a very famous reformer. And he, uh, Scott gave us this quote last week. If you remember this quote, it says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I'll read it again. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You know, church, I I think that statement, if you really think about it and look at that statement, that statement rings true, doesn't it? Uh, But I I think as Christians, I know for me, and I'm, I'm sure for you as well, doesn't our daily experience also confirm this? Uh, When we're praying, there is spiritual life and vitality. When we're not praying, we're kind of dead on the vine, so to speak. You know, uh, it seems like our spiritual strength ebbs and flows based on how much we pray or not pray, right? I know mine does. Um, it's a lot like exercise. I, uh, several of you know that before I came to Greensburg, I was running like crazy all over the place. 
I would run miles every single day, all right? Uh, but when I came to Greensburg, got busy, uh, started with uh, working at FedEx, which uh, I kind of said, you know, <laughs> Ryan's back there, oh yeah. Uh, started working at FedEx, and as Kevin knows, you get your exercise uh, at FedEx. But then I broke my ankle this past year, and uh, you know, I was eating and running at the time, but then I stopped running, but I kept eating, all right? So, um, so I gained some weight, uh, stopped exercising, and uh, this past week when I was on vacation, we were walking up ramps and stairs and things like that, and I found myself going, <sighs> I was saying, oh my, I've got to get back to running again. But isn't that what it's like? Prayer is like spiritual exercise. When we're prayed up, so to speak, uh, there is life, there's vitality. When we're not praying, it's, it's almost like we're out of breath, spiritually speaking. And so this statement does ring true that, that a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Or the way I put it again is it's like spiritual exercise. We need prayer in order to be spiritually strong. We need spiritual life and vitality, and that comes through prayer. So why is this true biblically? If we know that it's true, um, we'll say experientially, what does it say in the Bible? Well, the three points Scott gave us last week, uh, they give us a clue. And here are Scott's three points from last week, based on the first two verses. Number one, prayer is about relationship. So if you weren't here last week, that was the first point that Pastor Scott gave. Prayer is about relationship. He also said that prayer is about reputation. And then prayer is about request. And that's where we find ourselves today. In other words, the reason prayer is so important to the spiritual vitality of a Christian and the reason this vitality ebbs and flows with prayer is because, listen church, being a Christian is about a personal relationship, an interpersonal relationship with a real person who is both our God and our Heavenly Father. We are dependent upon him for everything. The reason our spiritual life and spiritual vitality ebbs and flows, especially when it comes to prayer or the lack of prayer, is because we're in a relationship with a real person. It's an interpersonal relationship. There is communication that happens back and forth. But of course, he is our Heavenly Father, and once again, on whom we are dependent for everything, but especially da daily spiritual life and vitality. You know, it's a lot like being in uh, hospice. Uh, I'm a hospice chaplain, as some of you know, and you know, they are so dependent. When you're in hospice, uh, the folks are so dependent upon the doctors and the nurses and the chaplains and the, you, know, you name it, the team of people. That's why they're in hospice. We are, we are like that spiritually. We are in such great need. We have, we are so dependent on this personal relationship with Christ and God. It's a lot like hospice. We are in such great need of life from him, spiritual vitality and life from him, 
that it's a lot like being in hospice. So we request, we ask. In hospice, a, a patient will ask for medicine. A patient will ask for uh, a drink. A patient will ask for everything, right? Because the fact that they're, or the reality that they're in hospice means they are dependent upon that team. Like we are dependent upon God. Church, we are such needy people. So dependent upon God. And prayer uh, helps us. Prayer is an expression of that relational, God-centered dependence. This is why Jesus always condemned prayer that was based on religious experience in liturgy. And I think Scott brought that out a little bit last week. Jesus was so offended when people would pray based on just so that people could see them pray or so that they could hear the words or because it was just an expression of religious checking the boxes rather than expression of a relational God-centered dependence. So Jesus condemns that kind of prayer. That prayer that's based on religious appearance and liturgy and not relationship. Jesus said it best in John chapter 15 in terms of dependence. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. John chapter 15. Starting with verse 4. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verse 4, going all the way through verse 11. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. So in this passage, this, the context of this passage is Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Look at verse 5, I am the vine. You are connected to me as a branch is connected to a vine. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Total dependence. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, verse 6 is not talking about those who are in Christ. So let me just make sure that you understand that. Verse 6 is talking about those who have rejected Christ, who reject his love, who reject abiding in him by grace through faith. That's what verse 6 is about. So that's not what we're talking about. I'm assuming all of you in here are Christians, that you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are connected to the vine. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, there's the prayer part, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So do you see it? Do you see the total dependence that we have upon God? 
We are branches. He is the vine. Do you also see the cause and effects? Do you see how spiritual vitality, and we'll just, I'll just give you a few that I see in this text, glorifying God, bearing much fruit, joy, spiritual alignment with God's word, proof of discipleship, effectual prayer. All of those are signs of spiritual vitality. Do you see how spiritual vitality in those things I just mentioned and abiding in God's love are inextricably linked? Abiding in his love leads to fruit, which leads to glorifying God, which leads to our joy. Or the way we say it around here at For the City is, being comes before doing, or being fuels doing. The fact that you are a branch and you are connected to the vine, we call that, in theological terms, we call that our union with Christ. Because of that, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. So in a real sense, uh, you are always permanently, forever connected to the vine. We call that justification. But in terms of our daily walk with Christ, our sanctification, that's where we find ourselves in this passage. And Jesus says, you're being a branch connected to me, the vine, fuels your doing. You can't do anything apart from the vine. But if you abide in the vine, so once again, you're connected already, but if you abide daily in the vine, you will bear much fruit. So church, this begs the question, how do we continually abide and why? This means on a daily basis. So once again, our union with Christ, you're connected. Because of Christ's work, his finished work on the cross, his finished life, his death and his resurrection, you are connected. You are a branch. That is who you are. And he has connected you to himself. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But there is something that happens on a daily basis that, that gives us, or we'll say, gives us access to the spiritual life and the vitality that we need. This passage talks about, basically, if you, abide in, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So there is this aspect of hearing God's word and doing God's word. But also there's an implication in this passage that is about prayer, about communication, mutual communication. It's, it is church, it is a relationship. Yes, you are connected forever and permanently to the vine. He has done that great work. But what Jesus is trying to emphasize is that, hey, this is a relationship. And it takes grace, but it also takes effort. That effort, once again, is keeping his commandments, but also the implication is a relationship based on prayer. So once again, eternal life with him is not in question here if you're in Christ as, as we look at this passage. But the question is, how do we daily abide in the love of Christ? My, my suggestion is that prayer is part of that. Prayer is how we abide in Christ. Yes, following his commandments, hearing from his word, doing his word. James says, the book of James says, be not, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer 
of the word. That's part of abiding, but also prayer is a part of that in a major, major way. Or to put it simply, based on this passage and many others, the way that we abide in Christ and abide in his love on a daily basis is mutual communication between you and your heavenly father. To put it even more simply, prayer or abiding is an exchange of words grounded in love for one another. God communicates to you by his spirit through his word. You respond to his spirit. You respond to, the, to his word. And then you respond in obedience, yes, but also you respond in communicating back. We call that prayer. It is an exchange of words, an interpersonal relationship between you and your heavenly father. It is an exchange of words grounded in love for one another. God loves you. You love him. It's a real relationship with a real person. It is a daily relationship though. Yes, permanently connected by his grace and through your faith, but yet it's fueled in three ways. By his spirit, by his word, and then the text that we're talking about by prayer. You see, the first two are how he communicates to us, and the last is our response. And this mutual interaction or communication is grounded in mutual affection that leads to obedience and dependence. And we see the result of this is he gets the glory and we get joy. So if there's one thing I would leave with you today is why should you pray? His joy. Yes, his glory, but also there is, he wants to give you his joy. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you spiritual vitality. And one of the major ways that happens is through prayer. So, so once again, why are we talking about any of this today in the first place? Well, because prayer, once again, along with hearing and doing of God's word, helps us abide in him, but catch this. But it also aligns our needs, align, our needs and desires, our wants, it aligns our needs and desires with his purposes, not ours. That's why it's important to hear the word of God and do the word of God and to pray. All of that together helps us to abide and then helps us to align our needs, our desires, our wants with his purposes. So that when we present our prayer requests to God, they are in accordance with his purposes in our lives. You know, I know that I've done this before where I've prayed some very, we'll just say Kevin-centered prayers. And, and not to be flippant, there is grace for that. That's true. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I know often I've, I've prayed me-centered prayers. 
Well, I think what we want to talk about today is how do we present requests before God that are God-centered? I'm not suggesting that you can't pray for everything and anything that you want to pray for. But I think the Lord's Prayer and these three requests that we're going to be talking about today, Jesus helps us to focus in on what should be priority. What are, the, what are three things, not, maybe not the three things, but what are three things that we can request of God, our Heavenly Father, that are in alignment with his purposes in and through us? Prayer is a response. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is about aligning our wishes our wants, our needs, desires with his. Prayer accesses what we need that we don't have and that we can't get on our own. So we pray and we bring our request to the one who is able, but also who is willing to help us in our time of need. Prayer is just talking to God, folks. Prayer is just going to your heavenly father and saying, I need, I'm dependent. Even in our me-centered prayer request, there's grace and he helps us. So first of all, the Lord's prayer, as we call it today, is grounded in the context of relationship, but it's also grounded in the context of mission, bearing fruit. Relationship and mission. So verses three and four of today's passage give us those three more requests that I was talking about earlier to make as we pray to our Heavenly Father. I believe these these three requests are not me-centered or Kevin-centered requests, but these are in alignment with God's purposes in and through you on a daily basis and in our city. So look at verses three through four with me. It says, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I pray this prayer a lot in hospice. Uh, Mainly, I pray it for our Catholic families Because for our Catholic families in hospice, there is a lot of, I would say for our active, strong in the faith Catholics, there is a lot of spiritual symbolism and meaning that that is packed into those words. Um, But it becomes more of a religious thing than a relationship thing often. But once again, the Lord's Prayer is not, it wasn't supposed to be called the Lord's Prayer, I don't think. That's just what we call it. It wasn't supposed to be a religious thing. It was supposed to be, and these requests that we just read about, this is all within the context of relationship and mission. If you think about it, these, these disciples have been walking with Jesus for a long time now, Right? And not only that, they've been walking with Jesus and making friends, as we say it for the city. So they're, they're walking, following Christ, and on mission together. And so this is the context that we find this prayer in. We've been walking with you, Jesus, for a while. 
We're on mission together as, we'll say, a team, okay? Now, teach us to pray. You've been teaching us all these other things. Now, teach us to pray. And so he does. And then, once again, in verses 3 through 4, he gives us these three requests that we make of our, or to our Heavenly Father. But, you know, as I began to prepare for this sermon several weeks ago, and I began to look at verses 3 and 4 specifically, I began to wonder something. And maybe, I don't know if you've wondered this before, this is probably just my weirdness. But I began to wonder why Jesus had his disciples pray this way. Of all the prayers in the world that Jesus could have said, they said, teach us to pray. Jesus could have said, pray like this, or pray like this, or pray like this. I began to wonder why, why pray this way? You know, he could have given us a myriad of requests to pray for. He could have given prayer requests for just about anything and everything. And once again, it's okay to pray about anything and everything. That's okay. But he didn't. And it made me wonder why. Huh. It made me wonder why. Now, I don't think the why is not there in those verses. So this is just me being neurotic, I think. Why? Why this prayer? Why, why these requests? Which led me to think about what I, what I ask for and why on a daily basis. So if this is what, if this is, you know, they said teach us to pray and Jesus said pray like this and, and pray for these requests, it made me think, why these requests? And then it made me think, well, those, those requests must be important. That must be really important because Jesus is not gonna just flippantly say pray for this or pray for that. If there's one thing that we know from reading through all the Gospels is that Jesus was strategic. He was intentional. There is a reason why he gave these three requests. So it, once again, it made me think about what I ask for and why on a daily basis, which then led me to ask the question of myself, if these are three requests that are in alignment with, with who God is in and through me, his purposes, and these are the three that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples and therefore us. Once again, what do I, these are requests, then that, that really points to what do I really need? I mean, really. If these are the three requests that Jesus gave, uh, what, what do I really need on a daily basis? Which then led me, here, here I get weird again, which then led me to ask the question of why am I here? And for what purpose? So I'm, I'm just kind of, if you catch what I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm just kind of drilling down into my heart a little bit and thinking, okay, if, this is, if these are the requests, he could have requested anything, and these three are, we'll just say, priority requests, even though you can ask for anything and everything, that's, you know, but why these three? What do I really need on a daily basis? And what do I really need on a daily basis to accomplish God's purposes in and through me? So I'm, maybe it's neuroses, but I think it's also strategic. It's intentional. You know, if my purpose is to have my best life now, then it would make sense to request and pray for anything and everything, no matter if it's God-centered or me-centered. 
But if my biblical purpose and mission in life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, there's the relationship, and to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel, to see new churches planted, our mission statement at our church, then maybe I don't need all the things I think I need. And maybe I need to only request or give priority to the things I actually need, that I really need for relationship and mission, God's purposes in and through me. Church, could this be why some prayers are answered and some are not? You know, to quote, remember Garth Brooks? What's that song? I thank God for unanswered prayers. I, I tell you what, church, I, I know that I do. There are things that I've prayed throughout my life that were totally me-centered, Kevin-centered, that had nothing to do with God's purposes in and through me. And I'm so thankful for unanswered prayers. Some Christian folks leave the impression that they have a deeper grasp of prayer than most. They kind of irritate me a little bit. Such folks teach, if believers understood God's word better, if you just understood God's word better, or you just had more faith, brother or sister in Christ, God would answer all of your requests. There are some folks out there, church, that, that they think they would never suffer illness or poverty again if they just said the right words with the right amount of faith and just believed hard enough in prayer. That's just not the case. Such folks seem to ignore the fact that Jesus was poor. <laughs> the Apostle Paul struggled with a thorn in the flesh throughout his life. Paul prayed for God to remove the pain, to remove that thorn of flesh. But did the Lord answer? No. Didn't answer that petition. So church, one thing that I wanted to emphasize today is that, that God is not some cosmic genie in the sky who promises to answer every request if we just believe strongly enough in it. There are qualifiers. There is a way of asking wrongly and asking rightly. Someone once said that God answers prayer in one of four ways. Yes, no, wait, or you gotta be kidding me. You know, once again, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Because sure, some of my requests were a big, hot mess. Just a big, hot mess. Because they were all about me. And so church, I could give you several biblical reasons of why God may not answer our prayer requests due to asking wrongly. Because there is scripture that backs up uh, the will say the statement that you can ask wrongly, and if you ask wrongly, God may not answer your prayers. But the few that I want to focus on relate to verses 3 and 4, because that's our passage today. 
So if you look at verse two again, whereas Jesus in verse two leads us to pray for, and this goes back to Scott's message from last week, an overarching may your kingdom come prayer request that encompasses everyone and everything from the large to, uh, from the, large to the small under it. Now he leads us in verses three through four to pray for what we really need on a regular or daily basis to accomplish his purposes in and through us as a community of faith and on mission together. What he's doing in these three requests, and actually even the one from last week, he's leading us to ask rightly, in alignment with who God is and what his activity is in and through us on a daily basis. One of the things I thought about as I was preparing the sermon was our missional communities. You know, one of, if, you, if you've ever been to one of our missional communities, you'll see that even on, in our map, thank you, Holly, for putting this together, and Evie, who does some things too. Um, if you notice, there is a, I think at the beginning, uh, if I'm an Eli, you may need to correct me, but in the beginning we had questions, and then we had prayer requests, and then we had missional engagement. All right, and then somewhere along the way, yeah, somewhere along the way, I had the brilliant idea, no, it was, it was Eli. Eli had the brilliant idea, you know, if we are a community on mission, shouldn't we reverse those two? Shouldn't we have our questions, you know, our map questions, and then go into missional engagement, and then to pray about those things? that are in alignment with who God is and his purposes uh, in our church. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, dang, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> but yeah, he, Jesus leads us to ask rightly. And once again, please don't hear me saying that you can't pray for, I'll use my old example, Aunt Susie's ingrown toenail. You can... <laughs> Pray for Aunt Susie's ingrown toenail. Pray that it doesn't get infected. Pray that she gets up and she's able to walk. Pray for all of those things, no matter how mundane they are. Yes, you can do that. Your Heavenly Father can handle that, okay? But what we're talking about here in the Lord's Prayer is maybe let's give priority, possibly, to a few requests that speak to what we really need in terms of relationship with the Lord, with one another, and being on mission. So those three things are this. If you'll look at your map today, Jesus says to ask your heavenly Father for daily or regular provision. You like those three Ps, right? Scott had three R's last week. And then he sent me this quote that's also on your, on your map. And I went, oh my gosh, it's three Ps. So I had to put this, I, I said, I texted Scott back and I said, I'm going to use this. And he said, well, you'd be an idiot if you didn't. <laughs> so then I had to, I had to put the three Ps in there. So, but yeah, these three Ps do encapsulate verses three and four. So when you go to your heavenly father, in alignment with, his, with who he is and his purposes for you, ask for provision. 
Ask for pardon. Ask for protection. These three Ps are three, we'll say, bucket categories that are totally in alignment with who God is for you and what he wants to do through you each and every day. Provision, pardon, and protection. So let's look, let's look at the first one. The first one is obviously give us this day our daily bread. At least that's the way I learned it when my mom would, every night, <laughs> every night when she would put me down uh, to sleep, she'd say, okay, say the Lord's Prayer. And like a good little boy who was, not, who was lost as a goose, would say, our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> and so uh, I learned, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not sure what the ESV says because I don't have it in front of me anymore, but, but that's, that's the provision piece, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, catch it, it's qualified by saying it's not just all the bread in the world. It's what? Daily bread. It's our daily bread. It's not anything and everything. It's give me this heavenly father for this day and this day alone. Would you just give me my daily bread? Because really, father, that's really all I need. All I need to live today to worship you and to be on mission in my city, all I need is, is for you to, at the, by the end of the day, when I lay my head on my pillow, that you've given me my daily bread. That's all I really need. And, and why is this? Because there is a reason, because we are so anxious, aren't we? We're anxious about tomorrow. We're anxious about the next day. We're anxious about, I don't know, marriage, finances, career, you name it. You fill in the blank. We're just anxious about anything. But in Matthew 6, Jesus says, in which if you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, today, is its own trouble. Do you see how the Lord is trying to care for us? He's pastoring our hearts in the middle of this prayer. And he's basically saying, all you really need, because I know you, you are dependent, anxious people. Pray this daily. Pray, Heavenly Father, give me this day my daily bread, because it's really all I need to worship you, to enjoy you, and to be on mission for you today in my city. It's really all I need. We are anxious, anxious people. It's, like, it's a lot like our cats, okay? Our cats, Ruby can testify to her. She took care of our cats this week. Um, our cats are very anxious, okay? Uh, when, when, let's see. So here's the routine. Hope gets up in the morning. By the way, she's the Lord of the cats, by the way, all right? So her, our cats fall down and worship Hope. Um, and so I, like even this morning, I walk out, I keep the door closed because they're drawn to the Lord of the cats in our bedroom, <laughs> all right? And, and I don't want the cats anywhere near me when I'm sleeping, so I keep the door shut. So I open the door this morning, and there they are. They, they're kneeling at the altar of the door, 
waiting for, waiting for the Lord of the cats to come and feed them. And, and I, walk, I shut the door, I walk right past them, and they're looking at each other and looking at me like, what the heck? And then they start getting anxious. They start really just getting weird. I don't know if you had anxious cats before, but their behavior gets very strange, okay? And they're thinking, is the Lord of the cats gonna get up and feed me today? What if she doesn't feed me tomorrow? What if she doesn't feed me the next day? But guess what? The Lord of the cats gets up and feeds them twice a day. It's the same way when she, before she gets home. They're standing at the door, waiting for the Lord of the cats to feed them. But they're anxious, anxious little kitties. And we are just like them. We're, we have seen the Lord provide day after day after day after day after day, and yet we worry about tomorrow. We go, is the Lord going to feed me today? Jesus says, ask for the Lord to provide daily bread, and he will do so. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Just ask for daily bread today. That's the provision that we all need. That's what he's saying. What you really, really need is not a vacation next year, even though vacations are great. <laughs> what, you need, what you need today is daily bread. So go to your heavenly Father who loves you and pray and ask and trust. Your heavenly Father will provide. Number two, pardon. You know, this pardon is a request for forgiveness for ourselves as, catch this, as we forgive others. It doesn't say, I'm going to have to go back because now I forgot my translation. It says, verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, everyone with sins. It doesn't, it says, and then in Matthew, Matthew, I think it says, as we forgive. So here is this, I mean, God takes forgiveness very seriously. Not, not just does he, he takes it so seriously that he sent his son to live the perfect life for you and for me. Jesus went willingly to the cross in obedience to the Father, shed his blood for you, was raised again. That entire work, finished work of Christ God takes forgiveness very seriously to where he sent his son to bear the wrath that you deserved, that I deserved. But guess what? He also takes, because of that, he also takes forgiveness very seriously when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgiveness of one another. So the, the request is, forgive us our sins as we, or for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. I could throw out a couple of scriptures that say, if you have unforgiveness or an unforgiving spirit or unforgiving heart, that he may not hear your prayers. There's a couple of verses like that. Now, I don't, today, I'm not going to unpack all that. That's another sermon for another day. But the point is that he takes forgiveness very seriously. And so when you ask, Jesus says, when you request pardon, when you ask for forgiveness, Make sure you have a forgiving heart for others as well. Make sure you're not holding back any bitterness and resentment towards anyone else. So in one sense, this pardon means that you have been forgiven of all your sins, right? 
as far as the east is from the west, we, once again, we call that justification. You are saved. He has forgiven you because of by grace through faith you are saved, right? But there's another sense in which he says on a daily basis, go to the Lord like you would a person in your family and confess sin. Just say, Lord, you know, I know that you have forgiven me. I know that you sent your son for me. It's finished, it's perfect, it's permanent. But, but I sin today and I just feel rotten about it, <laughs> you know? And I, and I know that it grieves your heart that, that as your kid, that I'm, I've sinned today. And so God, I come to you and I, I ask in order for me to, to glorify you, to enjoy you, in order to not have uh, any of this stuff between us, just like you would in, a, in another relationship. You know, I, I just want to confess to you. First John 1 9 says, if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That includes not just the justification piece, but also the daily piece. Once again, you're saved. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, okay? Except for unbelief. And we talked about in verse six of that passage read earlier, right? But there's a daily, there's a daily saying, God, you know, I love you, you love me. And, and I really blew it today. I was angry with my wife, my kid, well, you name it, whatever, you fill in the blank. And, and Lord, so I come to you and I ask that you just forgive me for that. And guess what? Your heavenly father, oh my gosh, he is, his posture towards you because of Christ, because of the gospel of grace, it, it's like, come on kid, get up in my lap. Daddy loves you. I love you, you're adopted in my family. Yeah, you sin today, that grieves me, but thank you for com coming, thank you for confessing, and yes, absolutely I'll forgive you. I have forgiven you, but I do forgive you. This is pardon. G God and, and Jesus in particular in this prayer, very concerned about the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. That's what pardon is all about. Number three, protection. This literally, I say literally means, I would say, I'm trying to put it in my own words. This is a request to allow us to be spared circumstances that would tempt us to sin. This kind of protection that Jesus is talking about is a request to allow us to be spared circumstances that would tempt us to sin. James 1 says that God does not tempt us to sin. He doesn't do it. But there are circumstances that he allows in our lives that we'll say test our faith. But not like test like pass or fail, like, oh, you blew it today. I don't love you anymore. Not like that. But, but a test of saying, hey, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna strengthen your faith through this trial and through this tribulation. So count it all joy. Because I'm not gonna waste an ounce of your suffering. So, even though God does not tempt us to sin, there are circumstances that, that's, that strengthen our faith if we allow it, that, that will help us. And, and so the request in terms of protection is, is really about lead me not into temptation. Help, Lord, or help me when, when circumstances come that you allow 
help me not to sin. And, and, and I would ask God as, as my heavenly father, would you just protect me from any circumstances that would cause me to sin? This is what Jesus is praying for or telling us to pray for. You see, we need protection from ourselves. We need protection from sin. That, that song that we sing often, uh, worship team, music team, uh, what's the name? Of, Come thou fount. Come thou fount of every blessing. Remember, uh, the words say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And throughout that entire song, that entire hymn, it's, there's a request for protection from danger. There is, will you tether my heart to you? Will you protect? Will you... So this is what Jesus is telling us to pray for. Pray for provision. Pray for pardon. Pray for protection. Because really, if you think about it, folks, in, in order to enjoy God and to be on mission for him, really, these, it's really all we need, isn't it? I mean, think about it with me. All we need is just give me my daily bread. Lord, forgive me when I screw up and protect me <laughs> today so that I don't sin against you. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are other things that we need, I'm sure, but let's prioritize. Let's, let's think about what do we really, really need to walk with Jesus and to make friends today? I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Once again, the quote is this. We pray, this is in your map, we pray for provision because we are dependent. We pray for pardon because we are guilty and we pray for protection because we are very, very fragile. You see, all three of these requests are all grounded in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. They all speak to our heart and our spiritual well-being. They're all in alignment with God's purposes in and through us. These three requests speak to the context of our church being on mission together. Church, asking rightly does not mean asking perfectly. Let me see your eyes just for a moment. This is very important. Church, asking rightly does not mean asking perfectly. Jesus requested and prayed perfectly for you. And for me, so you don't got to get all bunched up about, am I saying the right words? Am I, am, I, am I praying rightly or wrongly? Okay. At the end of the day, Jesus requested and prayed perfectly for you as your substitute. And because of his grace and through faith, his perfection is yours. So good news, church, the, the, the pressure's off. Even Romans 8 says, even when you don't know what to pray for, guess what? The Spirit intercedes for you. But our, pers or our prayer requests do matter uh, as they point to who or what's at the end of the day owns our hearts. So there is a way to ask wrongly and there's a way to ask rightly. The former is you-centered and the latter is God-centered. And, and where do I get this from? I'll read one last verse and then we'll finish up. James chapter four, verse three says this. When you ask, 
You do not receive. Why? Why when you ask, you don't receive? Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Another translation says, you ask wrongly. It's like the Indiana Jones movie, you, you chose wisely or you chose foolishly. That's what this verse is saying. You, there is a way to ask wrongly, to spend it on your own passions, your own wants, your own needs, your own desires. But then there's a way to ask for requests that are God-centered. And that's what Jesus has helped us with today. Church, let's abide in Christ through prayer and his words so that we grow in asking rightly. So once again, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't know if I ask rightly. Well, okay, being in church every Sunday, going to missional community, reading God's word, all of that will help you. It'll help you start aligning your desires, your needs, and your wants in alignment with his purposes in and through you. So in other words, as you grow as a Christian, you'll begin to ask rightly. So once again, the pressure's off. He's already taken care of it for you. This is a, a process, right? But here's the good news. Your heavenly father is more than willing and more than able to provide, pardon, and protect you as you present your request to him. In one sense, he already has provided, pardoned, and protected through Christ. But in another sense, um, daily, we go to him and we say, God, would you provide me my daily bread? W w forgive me when I mess up. Help me to forgive others. Will you protect me today? And your heavenly father says, absolutely. I'm more than willing and more than able to honor those requests. Because of Christ, it's all because of Christ. He is your heavenly father. He is more than willing, more than able to help you in your time of need. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.